Welcome back to uh, Jokerman Podcast, side B of the 1985 masterwork Empire Burlesque by Bob Dylan. The only uh, thing that could possibly be a contender for a masterwork in 1985, because it's the only record that Bob Dylan re- produ- produced that year. Without a doubt, the best album released by Bob Dylan in the year 1985. <laughs> Except for Biograph. Oh, damn. That's a good point. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We'll have to do that. All right. Uh, uh, without a doubt, the worst album released by Bob Dylan in 1980. Okay. Biograph is a compilation. It doesn't count. But it does have a lot of previously unreleased tracks. This is so, totally true. I rescind my statement. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're joined. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm Evan. And then, of course, as always, Ian is here. And uh Indeed. Very specially, um, in a special way, we have another Joker man, and that's Ian's father. Hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. Or Mr. Mr. Grant. Grant. Mr. Grant. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Um, somebody yeah, who, who experienced the Empire Burlesque album rollout, the the aftermath, and the um, really the cultural event that was Empire Burlesque. <laughs> that's right. It was the album that made him fall in love with Bob in the first place. That's why he's here to talk about it. Or He'd not. He'd never heard any Bob Dylan music before. Nope. Um, in, lieu of, uh, in lieu of talking about the cover of the album, which we've already kind of done, uh, definitely, listeners, please reference the Jokerman uh, Instagram if you're oh, we, interested in... We haven't in, fully talked about the cover. We haven't fully talked about it, but I, I would like to just uh, momentarily, uh, on a more uh, serious and sober note, uh, mm. make note that Jokerman Podcast uh, honors... Um, uh, the recently deceased uh, Chet J.R. White of uh, the great band yes. Girls, uh, one of uh, one of my very favorites uh, of of all time, uh, and uh, certainly I know a band that both of you are fond of as well. Um, yes, Girls might have been the like my favorite group that Ian introduced me to. I can't think of one I like better that I learned about through Ian. I, I feel like uh, Ian and I. Uh, you know, in the same way that Empire Burlesque was like a huge <laughs> moment for you. Oh, it was? Um, okay. <laughs> girls was like, uh, in, you know, in the the height of the indie rock um, explosion of like the late aughts, I suppose. Um, they were really one of the bands that I think has aged the most, uh, most beautifully. It continues to feel like timeless, perfect music. And um, I think it, it stands head and shoulders above a lot of what was critically acclaimed at that time, um, just in terms of its enduring quality. Uh, and it's a, a tremendous loss that we know for sure now, though they've been broken up as a group for many years. Um, there will not be another uh, girl's album uh because of the passing of Chet J.R. White, an extremely talented producer and songwriter and performer. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah, I, I um, yeah. Ian and I saw girls together several times, and I, I've and also Christopher Owens uh, solo, and I've seen him, you know, without Ian, and every show was great. And um, and you know, uh, Chet did really good production work on that uh, Tobias Gesso record. And, um, but it just feels like both of them have been struggling. Like, you know, um, the reality just is that difficult people sometimes make the greatest art. And, um, I think that's what was going on with girls. I mean, that's, you know, they got to the root of a lot of dark shit, um, in some really classic pop melodies. And I, you know, that's kind of, kind of exactly what I like. Yeah. yeah, you know, sometimes the going through uh, harrowing experiences, um, I think it can inspire artists to say what they really mean and to cut away a lot of the the fluff and the fat from from their music. And uh, lyrically, I think Girls was supremely clear. Uh, all their songs are so uh, direct. Um, Similar to like the feeling I get listening to the last uh, to the Purple Mountains record. Um, yeah, that's a good comparison. Which, yeah, uh, for sure. It, it I think there's a quote actually um, uh, by David Berman about that record where he said, "I don't want to like play 
lyrical games anymore. I want to mean something. Like I want to, I just want to mean. Yeah. And that, that stuck with me. I think it's absolutely true of that band. Uh, Girls is also the um, uh, perfect example to me of a band that like you need like your chocolate and your peanut butter going together. Like the, these two people had to come together to be able to achieve what they were able to achieve. You know, Chris and, uh, and Chet um, on their own without each other still gifted, still talented, still, still, you know, great. But just the, the alchemical reaction that, that resulted from putting the two of them together in the studio, um, you know, is, is, is so much more than the sum of its parts. Um, you know, uh, you know, Christopher Owens, obviously, like you said, Evan is, is uh, writes maybe the most direct, uh, and, and just clear eyed kind of songs imaginable and they're, they're fantastic. But at the same time, you know, the way that JR was able to um, sort of dress them up and realize them on this like widescreen kind of canvas. Um, you know, I've been listening to Broken Dreams Club, the, the EP from 2010, um, you know, quite a bit just in the last couple of days. And it's just like every one of those songs, it's only six songs long, but every one of those songs is just an absolute knockout and like mm-hmm. just perfectly, perfectly realized from a, you know, a, a sonic standpoint. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's, um, it, it, it was the exact right time, right place for the two of them to come together and, and be able to put those couple records out. Um, and you know, the, the records that Chris has put out since then, um, it, you know, there, there've been some, some good tracks and, and some, some good lyrics and stuff. And the, the Tobias Jesso record also, um, good and, and interesting in its own way, but nothing that either one of them have done on their own approach anywhere near the heights of what they were able to achieve just in that like two year, two year span, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's, it's really, I mean, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking that we're never going to get another girl's song or another girl's album, you know, uh, definitively now, but, but obviously as well, just, uh, you know, the circumstances themselves are, uh, it just, uh, there, there are a couple of guys who deserved much better than, than, than how things ended up shaking out, um, uh, over the last, uh, over the last and, decade. And- as I sit here and listen to all this and listen to you guys, and I feel the same way, but the it's it's a it's an overarching feeling of deja vu because this is like the story of like almost every band that I loved when I was your age. I mean, the you know right, the, right. anybody who puts out good music is got a ninety percent chance of ending up poor and obscure and uh mm. with no health insurance and you know scratching to survive in their old age and it's a it's a sad reality of a career as a musician and it's probably getting worse i would guess in these these times and um no question you know it's um yeah it's just it it's it's sad that people that are such great artists and that make a connection with you in such a personal way um when you see them experience, you know, such, you know, difficulties later in life. Yeah. Well, I mean, we should be, uh, nothing but grateful for those albums, uh, which it's, you know, a a minor miracle that they even were completed just as every great record is kind of a miracle that it gets made. And, uh, uh, with, I, I don't know if I have anything more to say on it, but, um, RIP. I'll I'll say this that if Dylan would have had a, a Chet by his side when he made Empire Burlesque, it would have been a much better album. <laughs> um, Chet, uh, rest in peace. I hope you are um, you are at peace now. Uh, first song, side B, Empire Burlesque, Trust Yourself. 
Uh, sample lyric, trust yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself. I think this is the worst song on the album. That's my vote. <laughs> yeah. This, this, is, this is not a... This is an inauspicious beginning to the second side of this record. Uh, this is uh, this is very much first uh, first line I got on the notes. Uh, back to the rock and daddy vibe, <laughs> uh, not not what you like to see. In fact, uh, you could even say we hate to see it, folks. Yeah, yeah. Trust yourself. Um, this is a song that uh, is actually sort of about trusting yourself. And um, <laughs> you know, there, there's other lyrics that kind of expand on that, like. Um, well, you're on your own. You always were in a land of wolves and thieves. Don't put your hope in ungodly man or be a slave to what someone else believes. Um, mm-hmm. Trust yourself. So we trust see him yourself. returning to this theme of trusting yourself. Um, uh, and trust yourself and you won't be disappointed when vain people let you down, when fake friends um uh, or, you know, this is another song, um, sort of like, uh, uh, say sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace, like watch right. out if make sure the lions you're running with aren't snakes in disguise, you know, be, you got to watch, watch, trust in yourself, you know, have that success mindset. My, my take on this song is that it is a thinly disguised rewrite of a song called Respect Yourself by the Staple Singers, which is fantastic. I know that song. Fantastic. Yeah. It's got a very similar melody, very similar vibe, uh, you know, and respect yourself, trust yourself. I, I almost thought it was a cover. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have never heard Respect Yourself, but I'm going to go have to uh, give that give that a spin once we're finished here. seems like a song um, that's so, um, I don't know. It, it's It's like... You would never expect Bob Dylan to make a song like this because the trust he had in himself seemed like something that would be silly to even mention directly when you're looking at the stuff from the 60s. Like the blonde on blonde Dylan, the Highway 61 Dylan, the fact that he trusted himself is like something that's so self-evident. Like clearly this guy knows exactly what he's doing uh creatively why would he ever even need to call attention to it it's like the um what's it called when you when you say something and you're inadvertently calling attention to a problem that that would have been like you protest too much yes right uh right right why why would you need to make this song if you weren't Kind of insecure and defensive. Insecure. He was yeah. because this refers to all the criticism he got over the Christian records. Um, and mm. if you read the lyrics in that context, I, I think that. I think that's what it is. I think he's very defensive. And if you read lines like um, um, "Trust yourself, and you won't be disappointed when vain people let you down. Trust yourself, yeah. and look not for answers where no answers can be found." And, you know, it's. It's again, it's got that biblical kind of look not for yeah, answers. Yeah. I just, it, again, I think this is a, a leftover track that they needed to fill out the record. I, I just don't find it compelling. Yeah. Uh, the, the song I think fits right into the lineage of the, of some of those Christian songs where he was doing that, that holier right. than thou thing, uh, where, where he was, you know, uh, just shit talking other people for not being as good a Christian as, as him basically. And now he's doing that same thing, but it's like a, a semi-secular version right. of it. Um, and he's still, just, you know, just shit talking saying that the haters and other doubters. people aren't as real as him. Yeah. You're, right. you're being <laughs> yeah, fake. Exactly. This is a song <laughs> against fake friends, fake friends. Um, well, that's probably enough of that. Um, on to the second song here. Uh, I don't like yeah. this. Might be one the second time. I don't like this one. <laughs> well, this one, yeah. This one is this one's a fun one. Uh, we're talking, of course, of uh, emotionally yours. Emotionally yours. I I find this uh, also to be a kind of confounding song lyrically because it's like it's like if you ask somebody with like severe. Uh, borderline personality disorder to write a love song they'd be like um um i will always be emotionally yours i don't even know what that even means you know what i mean it's it's the opposite of clear 
one of the weirdest turns of phrase I think that uh, that I've ever heard in a Bob song. Right, right up there with the I and I chorus in, in um, creation. Where yeah, but at least that's like kind that. of weird and interesting and in kind of an exotic way. This is just like from a Hallmark card. Rhymes like um, "rock me, lock me, teach me, reach me," I, I, like a. It, <laughs> he's it's, back. It's he's back to the rock and daddy stuff. Come yeah, on, it, baby. but it's even rock, worse rock, than that. You know? Rock me, baby. <laughs> it's like a nine-year-old writing a poem for their teacher. You know, the poet laureate of the uh, United States of America. Um, yeah, Nobel Nobel Prize winner Bob Dylan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the song emotionally ours. It sounds like a. It sounds like it's been like translated from French or something. right. Yeah. <laughs> Like That's the, funny. It does have a sort of ESL vibe. Um, I, I don't know uh, what else to say about it, really, other than it's uh, if you want to do the positive spin, you know, it's this is like a song that's only poignant if you really are like, I don't know, on Ambien or something. <laughs> like you'd have to be it's, kind of zonked out to just be like, whoa, this is actually really deep. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, there's that guy who like, he's like some like neurological, like, um, uh, uh, wonder case in the field of, of, um, um, anatomy or whatever, where he got like an iron rod through his uh, brain. Phineas and Gage. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah. He split the the left half and the right half of his brain. So like, you know, his, his emotions and his serotonin levels were all fucked up. Like this song sounds like the kind of love song that he would do yeah. and think is romantic. <laughs> if only half your brain is working. I did a, a re- book report on a book about that man in like um, third grade. Did he, did he like emotionally yours? Do we know? Um, I don't think the song had been written yet. I think it was about a hundred years off, but you know, we can only guess. Um, We can only, we can only, as soon as they took Uh, that metal rod out, it's like, uh, you know what song I want to hear? You know, what would be really good right now. Emotionally yours. (laughs) <laughs> one other uh, highlight of this uh, of this song for me which i actually kind of like again this is this is sort of another one of the the corny uh love ballads that uh as long as you just meet it where it is at and understand that it is a dumb song mm-hmm. and sounds stupid uh you can find something to appreciate here is the music video which is all in <laughs> black and white and consists of bob basically just sitting at a piano bench you know the song is a piano song bob plays the piano it's the main melody here Um, but, um, and so in the music video, Bob is seated on a bench in front of a piano and yet is strumming an acoustic guitar the entire time as if the song were an acoustic guitar song. But you can, you can hear a piano playing the entire time. It's just the most confounding possible thing as if, as if they put Bob on a piano bench in front of a piano, like the director was like, okay, Bob, this is a song where you play piano. You're going to play piano in this music video. And Bob was just like, no, I'm going to, I want to play the guitar. (laughs) And, um, uh, and then Mike Campbell just walks in at one point, uh, with an electric guitar that isn't plugged into anything and sits down next to Bob and starts soloing. Uh, along with his solo at the end of the song, one of the more just uh, you know the, all of the music videos from this from this album are uh, are, are almost almost works of like outsider art or something. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, but again, what you're picking up on is during that era, during the '80s, which was sort of the golden age of music videos and MTV. Um, it was a very widely discussed and obvious you know situation where again legacy rock stars that came up in a period when there was no music videos they never understood the form the format they never got it yeah bob invented bob invented the music video with uh with subterranean Subterranean blues blues, yeah that's the the greatest music video of all time yeah i I kind of agree but again it he these videos speak for themselves. They're terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, in and, that interview with in 1985, um, at, this is like random interview. I don't know what the story is. He's at his Malibu home. It's very windy, and some of it's missing. I don't know who is interviewing him, but they ask him about the advent of these videos and like, do you enjoy doing them? And he he his response is basically like. No, uh, but I, I don't know. They have to be done. It's part of 
the th- what you got to do now to, to st- yeah. it, it's really like Bob, Bob Dylan seems to accept um, very uh, resignedly like, well, this is just what I need to do to continue what I really want to be doing. If I want to have my, my career still, I have to play along and humor people and make these videos. And uh, yeah. that video in particular has, um, it smacks of uh, the giving the bare minimum. <laughs> For sure. Even, you know, I, even worse than the Joker Man video. I, I would uh, say the, that there are two words that sum up the problem with this track and really almost kind of the whole record. There is a guy named Richard Schur who is credited on this track with playing synth horns. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what synth horns are, but it sounds awful. And I'm pretty sure he probably could have afforded some real horns. Yeah, that's probably a good yeah. point. And Evan, I, I didn't mean to say the Joker Man video is, is bad. I just meant to say that Bob's uh, oh, his, to open his eyes in the, in the Joker Man video. I don't video. think that Bob Dylan actually had anything to do with the Joker Man video being successful as it is. Uh, really, he, he seems Did to have nothing to do about- with it. What the director said the Joker Man video was at the time it was made? Uh, I don't think that we d- discussed that directly. But um, a friend of mine, uh, Michael Diodaria, uh, or it was either Michael or Brian, was telling me about this. Who directed it, by the way? I, I forget. It was somebody famous. I can't remember. I'll look it up. But what his quote was, it's art in your fucking face. That's so true. <laughs> That's a good point. That is literally what it is. I mean, I, I do love the the sort of like punk rock uh PBS style of that video where it is, yeah. is like, here's a trip to the museum. You fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, I think we could uh, scroll on by to the, to the next tune, um, which is the, uh, if I could be so bold as to say the um, all along the watchtower of this album yeah, maybe when the night comes that's falling exactly from the sky. what i was gonna say yeah. when the music when the music bed starts i immediately in my mind i expect him to start start off with there must be some way there out must of here be that's exactly yeah. what i expect him to say uh but that's uh when the night comes falling from the sky and uh this is a song that has i think something of that like minor key menacing um apocalyptic uh, attitude of, of something like, uh, along the watchtower. But, uh, what, what this song has and that song doesn't have is, um, gated Tom drum, like electronic drum <laughs> drums. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, how they did that, that type of drum sound, but it's so, pervasive I think it's, an, so it's an early electronic drum kit i think um or or uh, something like that an early sampling machine but um the the original the alternate version rather of of this track is much more upbeat and feels uh it the one that appears on the um the, the first bootlegs series which we will discuss right at the very end um it it's like a totally different song but uh, we'll get into that, I think, more when we talk about that, when we actually get into the bootleg series. But bootleg series. for our purposes here, I, I think this song is it's fun to air drum to, but I don't, I don't know if it's much more than that. I actually kind of, I, I kind of dig it, um, even though I, I agree the production uh, and just everything going on musically is, is sort of a train wreck, but it's it, like, this is, this is really like, like if you look, when you look at the cover of Empire Burlesque, it sounds like, this is what yeah, you expect it to sound like. Yeah, exactly. This is what the cover of Empire Burlesque looks like in a, in an auditory form. It's um, hard hitting the, and it, it feel it feel, it does feel of a piece kind of with the first track with tight connection. Like you, those sound like for better or worse that they should be on the same record. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, those two kind of go go together. I think the lyric is really actually kind of fascinating, and I I I, I see what you were both saying about it sort of fitting in with um with the the dramatic kind of uh, motion picture vibe of, that he was going on with uh, Watchtower. 
but the the, the no, music I and the production. No, I think the music sounds like all along the Watchtower. You think the melody sounds like yeah. Watchtower? Okay, like yeah, when I they see s- that too. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 but yeah, musically and, and production wise, there's just, there's so much going on here that I almost can't even pay attention to what he's saying or what, like what the lyric is, 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 uh, conveying. I think it actually kind of fits in with the first and last tracks off of street legal from a, uh, a lyric perspective, mm. changing of the guards yeah. and, uh, um, and where are you tonight? Just in this like sort of like dramatic storytelling thing. And it, but like, yeah, it, it seems to be like he's the he's the protagonist, but it's also taking place in like a semi mystical kind of dimension, uh, and it's it's interesting. But there's just like there's no way to even pay attention to what's going on with all of the fucking lasers and just like pew pew sounds that are happening yeah. in the background. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Bob Dylan in Tron. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. But that's why I like the version that's on the bootleg series record that with all that's produced by little Steven with the E street, you know, guys on it. It, it sounds like it's off of born to run. Yeah. 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 Just to very briefly touch on that. Uh, yeah. I think the second to last track on, on the first bootleg series record is the original version of the song mm-hmm. that was recorded with Bob or that Bob recorded with little Steven and someone else from the E street. I forget who. I think it's a couple. It's, it's Roy Bitten on piano. Roy Bitten. Yeah. I think there's maybe one or two other guys too. Yeah. Uh, maybe Gary yeah, Talent, the bass player. Yeah. It's just like a, it's a rip roaring kind of like straightforward born to run kind of sound. Almost sounds like it, like it, that song sounds like the template the destroyer was pursuing for poison season. Yeah. Almost. Um, and um, it was, uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun and like totally, totally with it. Um, and it clearly speaks to Bob's, um, poor decision-making, uh, shall we say, at this moment in time that he decided to, uh, leave that one on the cutting room floor and then end up going with this version. Yeah. It kind of feels to me like they had a fixed budget for the special effects. And so they put one big number on each side, you know, tight connection on a, this one on B Arthur Baker broke the bank with all of the electronics on those two tracks and everything else. The, he just did a little window dressing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely an evocative title. I mean, when the night comes falling from the sky, that's like, cool sounding it's a little bit more interesting than uh i'll remember you or um or never gonna be the same again um but it's instructive that as we know this was an earlier song that he wasn't writing at the same time as all these love right and and on something we'll get into later um i mean for the next two records really with um with knocked out loaded and then with down in the groove those the are great down in the groove. Oh God, I can't <laughs> the 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 album down in the groove. Um, the, these are all um, they all share that sort of pastiche, like just grab bag from yeah. different eras. They're yeah. not. It's not I, like he set out to uh, go, you know, go into the studio with like an idea in his head with these this really like kind I, of trilogy of of records, um, which are kind yeah. Of I read like, a quote. I read a quote from him. Uh, uh, I think it was an interview that he gave around the time of, um, of Knocked Out Loaded, which you know was coming out the next year after this, and and like Evan said, was recorded. You know, a lot a lot of the songs at the same time, and he said something along the lines of like, you know, this was in response to just the absolute uh, savaging that that record got critically. Um, uh, he said something along the lines of like, you know, if my, if my records are only going to sell a certain amount, I, why, why should I put so much time and effort into recording them in the first place? If people, if people aren't going to buy it's these. such a, it's such a, why make them? Jaded, the uh, that's so bleak that, that quote. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. Uh, and, and it definitely fits in with that, with the, um, uh, the image and just general kind of behavior of uh, of Bob in that Evan, you sent me that that four part interview that someone right, from the right. B- CBC or BBC or something did with him in 1986, where he looks like the Joker. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I crying. believe that's like it, during the, amidst the filming of uh, Hearts of Fire, the film, which we'll have to right. get into. Um, and uh, he looks. Like he's made out of beef jerky and like <laughs> is just is is drawing this picture of the man interviewing him like the whole time and the I mean the guy seems like a total schmuck the guy who's interviewing him and peppering him with these 
you know, classic stupid ass questions. Um, and Dylan is just sort of like vindictively sketching him the whole time. It's really, uh, it's great. Uh, it's great viewing, but, um, I, I, I know Ian, you have a slight time crunch, so I think we should move on, um, right to, to the next track, which I think is, um, one of the mo- most successful, uh, on the record of finding a, a balance of, uh, 80s excess and like lyrical, uh, and musical interest. Um, I think, uh, it works pretty well actually. And that's something's burning baby. Right. Yeah. For some reason I can't help, but uh, this is probably just my stupid lizard brain making a connection with the, the word burning in the title, but I can't help but think of, um, I'm on fire when this, uh, when this song uh, rolls up, <laughs> oh, which obviously yeah. from, uh, from born in the USA. Um, and I guess they're sort of similar in that they're just like sort of quiet, sort of like, um, uh, palate cleansers almost. Um, I wouldn't call this uh, song so quiet though. I think it's a little well, boisterous. It's sort of it's but it slows it down and like everything is we're, we're kind of coming down off of the sugar rush from when the night comes falling from the sky it is you know there's that martial drum sound and those big kind of bright synthesizers mm-hmm. um but we're not quite as um uh rambunctious as we were previously uh anyways it, it's not a great connection I, that's just what what jumps into my brain because of uh you know the, literally the word burning now we make that um, you've made that comparison and it, now i'm starting to think about how that's like a t- 10 times of a better song uh than this but, um, right. Well, yeah, that, that's the thing is like this, this is like, eh, the song is fine. I think it, it's like, it's, it's like replacement level to use like a, a baseball term. Uh, it, it is no better nor any worse than just like your absolute most average possible song that was coming out of Bob at this, at this moment in time. There are parts of it that work, parts of it that don't, you know, it is what it is. I, I love that part where he goes, I can feel it in the night, in the night, in the night. That's great. right. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, I can't even pretend to understand the narrative, no, but no, it does <laughs> kind of seem sort of evocative. Like it, it, it's describing some real world experiences that he actually had, as opposed to some of the more kind of cliched, you know, moon, June, spoon kind of <laughs> lyrics that some of the other songs have. Yeah, yeah. There's there, there are a couple nice deliveries uh, uh, on this um, on this song. I think I think the singing in general on this record is not his greatest uh, of all time. But um, this one's got a couple good lines towards the end when he, uh, I've had the Mexico city blues since the last hairpin curve. I don't want to see you bleed. I know what you need, but it ain't what you deserve. That, that is a really nice line. Um, You like Mexico um, city blues, the, the Jack Kerouac poetry book. I don't know that I've heard uh, or read Jack Kerouac's Mexico city blues. I've generally kind of stayed away from the beats. That's a mistake. The beats are good. You never read yeah, I don't have anything against him. Yeah, I've, I've I've dabbled in Burroughs, but I'm not uh, I'm not not as as deep deep down as you might be. I like William Burroughs and way more than Jack Kerouac, but I have read on the on the road and Dharma Bums. I, 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 just putting just putting that. Yeah, out yeah. There. I, I I I had a big beats phase in my uh, high school days, and I I read Mexico City Blues, and it's a uh, it's it's really uh, it seems like it was something that was big for for dylan when you read his book tarantula the the dylan book of like absurdist beat poetry i've i've read some of it and i don't think i've ever actually uh i can't say that i've read it either it's impossible to read (laughs) um but it seems like uh maybe there's a connection there uh that shout out to mexico city blues but um yeah i i also think that this song is pretty hard to to read i i it seems like there's something i can't tell if it's po- is it positive or negative about thing burning is it their love burning in a good way or a bad way uh both i think it's uh i think he's this i mean this does fit if we're going to take this uh as this sort of like you know love album to to carolyn dennis i think that this this fits into that rubric at this point you know the the first yeah. uh stanza something is burning baby are you aware Something's the matter, baby. There's smoke in your hair. Are you still my friend, baby? Show me a sign. Is the love in your heart for me turning blind? Um, you know, like like they're they're together. It, it, it's good, but but there's you know there's 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 warning signs now. You know, the the check engine light has has mm-hmm. has appeared, so to speak. Um, so I, I see that, uh, and I think that I think that martial kind of drum beat 
that uh, that we get throughout the song and those those you know kind of synth flares that that show up here and there um contribute to that feeling it's sort of dramatic and, and vibey um yeah i like so, this uh, lyric at the end here um something is burning baby something's in flames there's a man going around calling names ring when you're ready baby i'm waiting for you i believe in the impossible you know that i do so in the context right. of like a, a of a love ballad or like a a yearning a pleading love song uh like like their love is about to go out and he's like trying to drag it back from the abyss i think that that's a it, it actually is a nice penultimate song um yeah. and it it does i think connect to the to some of the stuff at the outset with um the uh high connection seeing the real you at last and tight connection. It's like a continuation of that love story narrative. Um, Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's understandable. um, Yeah. Speaking from the other side of the um, other side of the hill, so to speak in life from you guys. um, It's these songs are not so overtly, romantic like some of his earlier work because he was a jaded older guy that had been through a divorce that kind of was ugly and difficult and he had many children and you know this is a guy that's like on the road all the time so he's probably not the greatest candidate for a close personal relationship and and for him to have a baby born in 1986 when he was i'm guessing like in his 50s um you know, it's, um, you know, these are world weary kind of, you know, lived experience kind of songs that are a little bit on the fence as to, you know, are we going to commit to this? Is this really going to happen? Are you having second thoughts? Am I having second thoughts? I can't believe the baby was intentional, um, at that point in anybody's life. Um, so it could refer to a lot of that stuff that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point is, um, just remembering that like what the actual texture of, of life is for somebody who is relentlessly touring and, and living pretty hard, uh, for his age, especially at this point. Um, and, and I think that definitely colors the songs, especially on the next song, which I think is, not only the best song on the record, but in my opinion, um, the best song that Bob Dylan released in, in the eighties for me. Better than Joker, man. Well, okay. never mind. But like the second, (laughs) I'm I'm saving you from another three stars for saved type experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not going to hell. Uh, one of us isn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, Joker, man, it it didn't even occur to me because it's like, so, uh, obviously the, the best, but um, the second best if, and it's a totally different type of song, the best yes. ballad. Um, Cause I don't think of Joker man as a ballad, the per best, se. the best kind of classical, like, you know, Bob 1.0. Yeah. And it comes out of complete nowhere. Uh, exactly. And, and that's um, dark eyes. Um, this song, I think to me, it feels like, uh, like the real true, soul of of Bob Dylan the artist just like quietly coming out with just his guitar and harmonica just to look around and to give you this quick little like emissive from from the other side wherever his like real muse has been during this like weird degrading time of the 1980s um it, it's so poignant to me for that reason it it feels so like uh, ancient, it, it, like it, like it has that same sort of mystic, uh, connection that some of his best songs have. Yeah, I think I think my favorite thing about this song is, and I I agree with with you. I think this is absolutely the strongest song on the record. Um, even though tight connection has got a really you know, it's got a tight connection in my heart. A totally different. Um, uh, goal there i think with those songs <laughs> a very different goal yeah absolutely uh but what what i really appreciate about this song is apparently you know i think i think this is an arthur baker quote 
um, or, or something. Uh, and, um, and, and he told Bob, you know, kind of when they were getting to the end of this end of the recording, like, Hey, we, we need something quiet and sort of a change of pace for the end of the record. We don't have a song like that. So what, what do you got? And, and Bob didn't have anything. And right. so he just like over, over the course of a day, he wrote this song, cut it directly to tape. There's virtually zero production. It's just him and a guitar and a harmonica. Um, and, um, and just crank this out like, like it, like it was nothing at all, basically. Um, which is so cool to me. I think that, that like it, Bob is, he's so labored at this point in, in his career. Like it, it takes so much effort for him just to, just to put out a record with like one or two great songs on it. Um, and there's so many misfires, uh, certainly, especially ones that are, that are about to come. Um, and yet, you know, if the if the moment strikes, if the muse is right, he can just you know sit down over the course of twelve hours, crank out a song like this, record it, direct the tape, and it's 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 right up there with the absolute heights of his everything else that he's ever recorded. And it's so interesting that that he didn't have this like in mind until it was you know brought up to him like, hey, we need a closer, because uh, everything else seems to be like. It, all these other songs seem to suffer from overthinking and sort of in some ways underthinking. Like they, um, they have this balance issue. And then it's like, as soon as Bob is made to just relax, like, or, or do something on the fly, it's like he, it, maybe the key was like, we need something soft. Uh, we just need something quiet. And then he was able to quiet down and just like listen to what he was really uh, feeling and make something that's like so much stronger than anything else we see here in a way that I think is kind of like dramatically. So like, it's so, it sounds like it's from a different record. One of the things that I think is lost on people when they think about someone like Dylan, uh, who is a great artist they lose sight of the fact that he is also a great craftsman. Um, Back in that era um, and earlier, people that made records were actual musicians that knew how to write music and play instruments and sing on key. And, you know, as, as compared to today where making records is largely a computerized exercise and the people that, put out the records are not really musicians in the traditional sense. They don't play instruments. They don't read music. They, they don't understand, you know, musical scales or anything related to music. They just know how to work with a computer. And, um, Dylan is of that generation. Like the story you just told about Arthur Baker saying, Oh, we need one more track. Since we've been talking about born in the USA, that's the exact story about dancing in the dark born in the USA was done. And then somebody said, you know, we need, we need a single. And so then Springs, he just whipped out dancing, with the dancing in the dark because those guys, they can write a song on command. And um, which is a skill, a craft Mm. that goes beyond their artistry. It's like a guy working. And and I think Dylan and Springsteen met Neil Young. Many of these guys from that generation look looked upon themselves as craftsmen, you know, not highfalutin, you know, going to get trophies and awards and all that. But they were real craftsmen and lifers that were dedicated to the craft of playing music. You know, Woody Guthrie didn't have big hit records and stuff like that. And um, but he he was a craftsman and a master of his craft. And and I think that's how I look upon Dylan. I think that that's a, a really good point to bring up for this song in particular, because it it feels so. um so traditional the execution of it sounds like it, it could have been written musically you know 150 years ago it basically is uh just like the most traditional type of uh guitar and harmonica uh arrangement um and that's something that bob dylan can always do and it's something we'll actually yeah. see him go back to do again perhaps out of a um another dirt, like a dearth of inspiration, um, being kind of unsure of what, of himself, but, um, 
add another in a few records. There's sort of another transition period with uh, "Good as I've Been to You" and "World Gone Wrong," where those are totally acoustic for like the first time um, in you know decades. Uh, Dylan returning to a traditional folk focused style, um, which then I th- I don't think it's a coincidence that his immersion in that springboards him back into a total rejuvenation of his muse. It's like when he gets back in touch with that uh, original craftsman like spirit that informed his earliest stuff, then what follows is inevitably like something that's going to blow your socks off. It You could even say, I think that what we just saw in the last few years this immersion into the American songbook with the sort of Sinatra esque records fall. And then immediately after you get a uh, rough and rowdy ways. It's like this thing where when Dylan gets back in touch with the most essential things in music for him, it, it, it seems to set the stage for like a new original takeoff point or something. Yeah, yeah, I think works. that's a really good point. Yeah, rejuvenates him. The word that I know is is kind of a, a, a bad word these days is authentic. You know, that that's the authentic Dylan. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Dylan is primarily a you know top 40 pop artist. And records like this that are you can see a conscious attempt on the part of the record company or the production staff, etc., to to kind of create a Frankenstein monster that's Bob Dylan, but it's also radio friendly. Yeah. I, I is not authentic. That's not the authentic essence of who Bob Dylan is. No, I mean and then stuff like like a Rolling Stone, I mean, I guess part of the magic of it, aside from it just being brilliant on its own, is that it is also so catchy and so like accessible and it's high art really. Uh you can't fake that. And you can't force that. You can't force it. That the 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 audience came to Dylan. Dylan yeah. didn't pander to the audience, and that's the difference with this. Is there's an, a very obvious pandering on the part of whoever made the decision to bring in Arthur Baker and some of these other decisions that seem flawed in retrospect. But you know, at the time, I guess you know these were the compromises that you know for the commercial market that he had to make. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Eyes. Great song. Great song. Yeah, it's a good song. Well, I do believe it is about that time. Yep. Uh, uh, Dad, I think if, if you've listened to some of our uh, uh, episodes in the past year, you, you should be uh, aware that uh, 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 this is this is the favorite time of all uh, <laughs> the Jokerman um, uh, listeners, uh, many of whom get very angry with uh, certain scores that have been assigned to records such as uh, New Morning. Um, uh, and saved. Um, uh, so, uh, so it's, it's, it's time for us to award Empire Burlesque, uh, a rating, uh, between one and three stars. Yeah. Uh, I or, don't or, like the three star <laughs> convention. It's the three. It's, it's very difficult. It, well, that's, it, it, that's, that's, uh, that's the that's thing. The regular de jeu, as, as you could say, it, is that right? The rules it makes, of the game. It makes them, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, makes you, uh, makes you make some hard decisions. Uh, so, uh, as, as our guest, would you, would you like to go first with your, uh, with your three star rating of, of Empire Burlesque? Well, I, I, I got, I guess I have to give it a two, you know, it's, it's clearly yeah. not a three yeah. and there, you know, I, I have to reserve a one for things like knocked out loaded, mm-hmm. um, or down in the groove. So I guess this is by default is a two. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I uh, I would also give it a two. Uh, I I was I was leaning towards one at one point, but um, I think I think honestly overall I think it's actually a stronger record than Infidels, even though uh, even though you don't have a Joker man here. Um, but like on a song by song basis, like the median song quality is actually is actually a little bit stronger than Infidels, um, and certainly stronger than what we're going to get for for several records going forward into the future at this point. So uh, so yeah, two stars for me. I also uh, think uh, it's a two star um, for the reason, like you just said, that I, I also think it's better than Infidels because um, the weakest songs on here are are not bitter. Like the problem with Infidels to me, um, 
recently how I feel about it is like the weak songs on that. Not only are they not great um, or kind of bad, but they are caustic uh, in some way. Whereas the weaker numbers here, I think, are generally like they feel pretty earnest and it's hard to hate them. And then you do right. have uh, Dark Eyes and, and Tight Connection songs that are either good and fun or, I mean, Dark Eyes is a song that I think like it's brought tears uh, to my eyes. Importantly, in a way that I don't even know why it's so poignant to me, but it is. And that's like, right. uh, that means it's, it, it's a heavy hitter. So absolutely not a one star. And, uh. Yeah. Firmly too. Well, you heard it here, folks. Empire Burlesque, two stars. Thank you, uh, thank you, Dad, for for joining us and bringing your uh, your your uh, comprehensive wisdom <laughs> and knowledge of uh, of the of the rock and roll scene uh, to uh, to Jokerman. You fit you fit right in with our uh, with our yeah, absolutely. Here. Thank you so uh, much. It was uh, it was a pleasure. If not for you, <laughs> if not for you, it's yes. Bob Dylan song. Uh, if not for you, I probably wouldn't. Probably, myself, you so. probably <laughs> wouldn't be here. Yeah, it probably. Yeah, thank now. you so much, Mister right, Grant. Well, thanks for having me on, you uh, guys. Absolutely. And uh, Evan, do you want to send this out here? Yes. Uh, emotionally yours. <laughs> <laughs> Jokerman. <laughs>